back to another episode of the State of the Art Podcast. My name is Arcadio Rodriguez. My name is David Stillman. And today we have a very exciting episode for you. Um, we have Dr. Steve Rowens, who is currently the head of the composition area at the University of Utah. Um, we're very lucky to have him here with us to talk to us, even though we do see him pretty much every day. It's not often that we get to sit down and talk to some of our uh, faculty and professors, so it was really great to sit down and talk to him and talk music stuff, talk uh, composition stuff, school stuff, so all great stuff. Um, Dr. Rones has been here for about 25 years, so he's just chock full of wisdom, knowledge, and advice um, for composers and musicians as well, Um, so it was great to sit down and talk to him. We talked about uh, various topics. We talked about... um, improv and how that was sort of his gateway drug into music um talked about a couple other things um i incorrectly asked him if if he had finished a phd and then he corrected me and said it was actually a dma so next time i see him i need to actually sit him down and ask him what the difference is uh, do you know what the difference is between those? I, I, I just know one has to do with, like, scientific research and the other one doesn't. Well, like, DMA is like a doctor of musical arts, is it not? Is that not yeah. what it stands for? What does PhD stand for? I don't know. Oh. Philosophy, doctorate. Uh, I don't, I don't I know. I have no clue. Big P, small we H. We'll yeah. go back and talk to him about that. Um, but, yeah, we, talk about, we talked about poetry and some... Um, interdisciplinary uh, stuff as far as collaborating with other arts and schools and that stuff that was super interesting um, I made up a word towards the end of the podcast that word will be extracurricularly uh, after I heard myself say that I realized that that is I don't think that's a real word and we took 30 seconds out of our time and looked it up on the Googles and uh, turns out it is, according to one very um, succinct Yahoo Answers user, it is not a word. So thank you, ma'am, for the lesson. Um, but yeah, um, anything else you're going to add, David? No, all that I really want to add is that uh, Dr. Rowans does have a lot of experience in the field, and um, I believe he will have a lot of um, really great information to give us so without further ado, let's jump into the podcast. Great. So, yeah, we got Dr. Steve Rowans with us today. And it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Pleasure to have you. Dr. Pleasure Steve Rowans is currently yeah. the, the head of the composition area at the University of Utah. Is that correct? That's right. And he's been teaching here. He just told me for 25 years, which is a quarter century, which is great. So a lot of knowledge here that hopefully we'll be able to extract today. So, yeah, Dr. Rowan, let's just, I don't know, probably start back from the beginning. How, what was your, your first introduction to music? Uh, it was, I guess it was piano lessons, yeah. Piano lessons. Great. How old were you when you began? Uh, seven. Seven. Nice. Great. And you grew up where? I grew up near Philadelphia. Near Philadelphia. Okay, great. Okay. And where did you, uh, so piano lessons at seven, um, you playing? Are you playing stuff in middle school and through high school and that? Are you playing music in any like school ensembles or anything like that? Uh, no, I was in. I, I sang in the chorus, um, oh. and I guess I played trumpet in the um, in junior high. Okay, nice. Right. Yeah. And then, 
Uh, where did you do your uh, undergrad? My undergraduate work was done at uh, Swarthmore College uh, near Philadelphia, okay. and I did a BA in anthropology. Oh, oh yeah, I did see that because the other day I was That's looking cool. through your bio and Morris's bio and I found some that was one of the things that I found I was like oh that's quirky (laughs) that's great so why anthropology um I was always fascinated by anthropology actually I was um the way I got into anthropology I was really interested in Greek mythology and I'd found this wonderful uh uh, two-volume set of the Greek myths by the poet Robert Graves um and then somewhere along the line, I read that mythologi- uh, mythographers don't really, didn't really think that much of graves. Uh, so somehow I moved on to uh, uh, a book uh, about, uh, th- that was focused on anthropology, The, the Golden Bough by okay. uh, Fraser. And, uh, and so I uh, got interested in that, and that took me into anth- that's That book is kind of armch- what they call armchair anthropology, so mm-hmm. he didn't really go out into the field and do anything. He just read a lot of stuff and thought about it and, and wrote uh, this, this, at the time, very well-known book. Uh, and so that's what, that's what got me going in anthropology. Oh, that's awesome. And then, so then what, 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 caused, what happened in your life that caused you to go into composition? Well, I never really intended to go into composition. Um, I was uh, was interested in learning to do jazz improvisation, mm-hmm. and I had a I had found this this four volume work by uh, uh, somebody who taught at Juilliard um, uh, that was really very thoroughgoing, and I wanted to, I wanted to study it. And of course, in a place like Swarthmore, uh, it's fairly high powered, and so. Uh, you really can't do anything unless you can get credit for it. There's just no time. And so I thought I could maybe get some sort of independent study going in uh, jazz improvisation. And so I went to the different people in the uh, music department, and I'd been taking some courses in music. Um, And they all said, every one of them said, well, you know, I don't know anything about jazz, so I really can't help you. So um, my senior year, uh, I... uh, was uh, walking to the dining hall and fell into step with one of the uh, music theory people I'd studied with. And he said, oh, listen, we've got this new guy here from Princeton uh, who's a composer. You might be interested in, in uh, doing something with him. And so I immediately thought of my jazz project. And so I uh, got the books and I uh, went and met with this guy. And he said, well, um, I didn't know anything about jazz, but leave the uh, first volume with me and uh, come back next week. And so I came back and he said, you know, I really don't like the way this is organized. Why don't you just go out and write something? And so before I knew it, I was studying composition. <laughs> nice. <laughs> who was that from, from Princeton? Who was that? Uh, his name was David Steinbrook. David Steinbrook. Okay, great. And then so that that um, that uh, liking for improvisation, that that was during your, your undergrad years? Yeah. yeah. Great. Do you still use improvisation at all? Uh, I, d- I never really got. To, I, I'm very good at jazz improvisation, okay. so I, um, I, I I have sort of improvised uh, in a very very basic, uh, not very interesting way. Um, but I I became really uh, interested in in writing music. I, he was a really good teacher and yeah. and um, uh, showed me all sorts of things uh, that really intrigued me. And so. Um, so I, I actually wanted to, um, when I graduated, I wasn't really any longer interested in anthropology, and I decided I'd maybe try to go into journalism, and I thought I might go to England and do something there. And so I, um, so he fixed me up with a, a 
friend of his, a guy by the name of Steve Pruslin, who was the pianist for the Peter Maxwell Davies group, The Fires of London. Oh, yeah. um, and so I went and met with, uh, with, uh, with him, uh, Steve Pruslin, and he uh, looked at my music and he said, well, it's really no more primitive than any other undergraduate's work. <laughs> he said, what you need to do is you need to go uh, study uh, with Louise Vaskergen at Harvard, uh, and then you need to do graduate work at Brandeis. And I said, oh, okay. So that's what I did. <laughs> that's awesome. So you went to England to be told to go back. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Um, and so where did you end up? So your, your PhD is in composition? Actually, a DMA in DMA, composition sorry. from, uh, I got a Master's of Fine Arts at Brandeis and then a DMA uh, at Columbia. Oh, okay. Great. Okay. Um, and then what... When was it that you came here to the University of Utah? I came here in 1990. And then, and what was it that caused you to come here? Just an open position? Yeah, I mean, at the, at the, well, it's not much different now from the way it was when I was, uh, when I got my degree. Uh, basically, there were 26 to 30 jobs a year all over the country, and everyone applied for all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and if you true. got one, that's where you went. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, and then I, so I, um, my sisters started coming here to the University of Utah when I was like 10. So that was like two, huh. the year 2000. And I remember back then, you know, um, David Gardner Hall was much smaller. I don't even right. think this room existed. Right. And, and it's just, it's, it's, I've seen the progress since I was a kid until now from what the university was back then to what it is now. So I wanted to know, like, what are your thoughts and feelings on, on, on the progress, this this awesome progress from 1990 to 2000? Oh, it's completely changed. I mean, yeah. it's really, um, and it is, you know, it's it's um, much, we, we've, we've had we've had some very, very good students over the, you know, over that period and also increased the faculty. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, for instance, we were, when I came, we were already down one musicologist. And okay. so for years, we just had two musicologists. And now, of course, we we uh, we've just hired a third musicologist, so um, yeah. So it's, that's very that's very exciting. Um, uh, we have two very exciting uh, visiting professors now, um, okay. and uh, in in theory, uh, who are also composers. Um, so uh, you know, so there's all sorts of uh, there there are good things going on. I think yeah. That's awesome, and it, it, I guess. Um, are, were you are you the only one that's been here since 1990 or are there other no people? there are two people that I can think of off the top of my head at least who have been here longer than I have uh, Susan Dulmeyer in piano in piano and mm. Morris Rosenzweig in composition oh, Morris Rosenzweig okay oh he's been here longer than you he has yeah great. I didn't know that I really didn't know that yeah. that's great he's actually younger than I am but he's been here longer huh. there huh. you go <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's get let's get down to some music stuff okay um, so last time when we were talking to, to Dr. Jones, she mentioned one of your pieces, so I think that'd be a good way to bridge those two episodes together. So she mentioned a piece that you wrote for, I think it was for the early music ensemble. Was was that what she said? Well, it was for a group that, that played yeah, early, early music, music. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so yeah, do you remember that piece? Can you expand yeah, on that piece? To Daffodils. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's, a, that's what that's it was. Right. Uh, it was it, it's a setting of a poem by uh, Robert Herrick, um, and it's for 
uh, soprano, uh, uh, I think it was alto recorder, and um, uh, uh, let's see, viol and harpsichord. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a very it's a very interesting poem, and and uh, so I, I uh, simply set the text for those for that that group. That's one question I wanted to ask you. Is right now I'm I'm starting to think about senior project ideas mm. and looking at literature as maybe a source of material or something to to use towards right. a, a larger piece. Um, uh, how do you go about that? Like. Um, do you just read a whole bunch of stuff and, and, and find something that really sticks out to you? Do you have uh, certain poets or, or authors or anything that, that, that you go, go towards? Or I do, yeah. I mean, I guess the idea of Herrick came up uh, because it was an early group, so, so he's a sort of a post-Elizabethan poet, mm. just, a little, just a little later than that period. Um, and, um, uh, but generally, yeah, I have... Um, I used to like to set um, poems by W.S. Merwin. So generally, when I set, and I, and I do, I have set uh, a number of texts because my wife is a singer. Oh, so, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, and in fact, she's the one who performed in that in, in that group. Um, uh, so I tend to go for more contemporary poetry usually. So W.S. Merwin, who is a very well-known American poet, lives in Hawaii now, I think. Um, uh, and uh, and more recently, I've been setting a lot of, of uh, works by Catherine Coles, who's a poet here uh, at the university, who was in fact for five years the poet laureate of Utah, of the state of Utah. And she's, a, I think, a wonderful poet, and I really, really enjoy setting her texts. What I look for um, is, you might say, exactly the opposite of Gerard Manley Hopkins, that is, whose poetry is very, very musical, as he uses lots of uh, assonance, where you have a lot of um, vowels that rhyme within words, and, and it's very, very musical. To me, if a poet has a poem has its own music, that makes it kind of difficult to set. Yeah. Uh, so I look for spare poetry that is that is uh, not, and, and so so even with with. Uh, Catherine Coles's poems. Not every poem works for me, but ones that are that are are sort of relatively short and uh, and uh, relatively sparse in in the in the words, and that gives me kind of an opening to do something with them. Yeah. So Catherine Coles, she's a poet. Uh, is she like a teacher, a professor? Yeah, she's here? A, she's a professor in the English department. English yeah. department. So yeah, that's that's one thing that I think I've that I hope I I can start to to do with both the podcast and the composer circles to start also reaching other other departments because i would I, I would i think my ideal vision for for a senior project would be to have a, a poem that was also have a poem written at the university and a piece written at the university ah I so maybe have a student write you a poem and then and then that sounds like a great so idea. i would love oh. to to reach out um to the english department see if i if i can Sync up with somebody that that yeah, that, I, yeah. that I like and maybe shares a similar vision or whatever. Um, but yeah, that that's great that you know working within the university too. And uh, yeah, no, I I understand what you're saying about the po poems being too musical because I, I think in a sense you you almost might feel that the music is kind of 
like half written for you almost and, and you got to just like exactly and like you need to well you need to be able to hear something to go with the text and if yeah. it's already singing a lot itself then it's hard yeah. to hear exactly. through that I understand. Yeah. I see that so what about uh, your more instrumental music um, how do you usually approach the, that 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 stuff um, I uh, write pretty intuitively so I basically you know, just start uh, maybe improvising a little bit at the piano and uh, with an idea of what I'm going to write. So I generally know what forces I'm going to be writing for and, and yeah. what kind of thing, whether it's going to be a group of short pieces that will go together or whether it's going to be a one long piece. Um, and so I work out uh, something for the beginning and, uh, and uh, usually something that has uh, some sort of energy about it, some uh, syncopation so that uh, it'll carry uh, rhythmically through. Um, and then um, once I've gotten maybe two or three phrases written, I suddenly begin to understand what the form is going to be. So I don't really know that much about that till I have a bit of music, and then, mm. then that sort of unfolds for me. Um, and basically, it, I, I, I write freely atonal music, and so I, uh, uh, the, the most relevant material would be sets, uh, would be, you know, uh, three, four, five note sets. Um, and I generally, uh, I, I, I don't really think about it a lot when I'm starting out, but then once I get going, I, I'm, I'm pretty aware of what sets I'm using. And, 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 um, and if I get stuck, then I, I, that's when I go back and analyze what I've done. Usually, I, if I figure it out and continue with the same thing, it keeps, it goes very easily. It's like a, like a perfect example of the music coming before the theory, almost, right? Yes. Like you yeah, find something yeah, intuitive yeah, that you find yeah. musical, and then go back and figure out why. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's great. Yeah. I think I, I think I, I I do that often myself as well. I think and I think sometimes I I don't make it to the f logic step as soon as I should. <laughs> <laughs> I find myself like you know quite a bit of measures into a piece, and then I'm like, okay, I need to figure out what I what I need to do next, or I need to figure out what I did before that. Um, but yeah, no, that that's that's awesome. Yeah, and and I, I've I was thinking, yeah, your, your wife, she's she's really impressive. I, I've seen her sing well, some thanks. of your works and, and some other stuff at some of the concerts here, and it's always such a treat. It's great. Thanks. Um, one of my questions, and I know it's probably a little bit easier being a professor at the University of Utah and also having a wife that sings, but like when you're looking for performers, how do you go about doing that? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I uh, sometimes people commission things, you know, and yeah. so then you don't really have to find the performers. They've found found you. Um, uh, there are organizations. One way one way you can get performances is, is uh, there's something called the Society of Composers Incorporated, um, and it's a national organization and it has regional chapters, yeah. and uh, you can submit pieces to them. They have a um, uh, they, you, you can become a member. You have to be a member to submit pieces, but um, it's it's not very expensive to be a member. Um, and so that's the way I've had a couple of performances uh, from from them. From uh, the uh, we have a an uh, Intermountain West chapter, or um, yeah, I think it's Intermountain West. Is that located here, or is it? No, it's it's. Um, uh, it it the the actual sites of the performances vary. Okay. Um, I haven't I haven't been an active member for quite a while, so I don't know what um, exactly 
uh, where they where the the, the uh, conference. But it's basically it's a conference, um, and if you su- you submit a piece and if it's accepted, then they'll perform it. You often it's it's a combination of student and faculty performers. Um, of course, that's awesome. And so that's one way of getting things performed. Okay. Um, then having friends, it's really good to have performers who are friends, um, because th- uh, that way you can get you can get. Um, uh, music performed, and, and sometimes you know, sometimes they'll uh, be people who have groups or who are involved with uh, presenting org- organizations, and so they can get your they'll get your music done that way. So. Okay, because I, I know that's that's one small challenge um, Arkady and I have found uh, during our undergraduate co- career is finding uh, people that are able to perform our music or at least have the time to. And, yeah, and um, yeah, because like. We're surrounded by a lot of performers, and they're great performers, but they're busy. They're busy, and, <laughs> right. and we've been trying to find a way where we can like somehow make it so it's actually worthwhile to them to perform our music, um, whether it be like, hey, you can maybe play this on your jury, who knows? But we just kind of t- been trying to find ways of implementing um, the composer's section into the performer section, so that right, we're right. all helping each other. You might uh, try hooking up with people who are in the new music ensemble because those are people who are obviously interested in playing new music. And uh, because there, certainly I've had some composition students who have become friends with performers and get performances from yeah. them. Um, and whether it be, you know, that you can write a fairly difficult uh, solo instrument piece and you've got somebody who would be committed to performing it, even on mm-hmm. one of our concerts on the mm-hmm. Composers Forum or something. Um, uh, or you know, or elsewhere, uh, but it's and and then sometimes you get. I've got a commission for a. Uh, I, I had a piece performed last year for the for trombone and uh, and piano from a, a, that was requested on the the uh, one of the um, uh, Grace Notes concerts. Oh. Um, it was also done, I think, on Salty Cricket, and mm-hmm. um, and I just got an email from the trombonist saying, "I've just formed a, a duo with a t- tuba player. Would you write a piece?" <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, that, yeah, and uh, we we do have some performance friends, and it, and it's pretty much kind of worked out so far. But I think it really gets really complicated though, because when I think it's it's not that big of an issue when when you're dealing with uh, chamber music, but when you when you try to be a little bit more ambitious with your uh, performing performing forces, like David wrote a, a symphony for a senior project, and uh, I don't know, I don't know when you're gonna have that performed. I, I mean, don't it, think, it'd be I great, but it's, it gets to. a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, more it's, it, that is that is something that uh, you. Um, it's that's that's a trickier thing. I mean, I I wouldn't really write an orchestra piece without knowing that there was going to be a performance of some sort. Hmm. And you can make it happen, but you want to make it happen before you start the piece. <laughs> you want to know that, that, because otherwise then, yeah, you've got a piece that is probably, uh, you know, not going to get performed. Exactly. Well, what do you think, I mean, how do you think we can make larger ensembles like that? Not make them, you know, but but get them to be a little bit, because I, I, I understand it's a lot of people in a large ensemble. There's a lot of logistical right. issues. There's a lot of uh, monetary issues going on, which always muddies things up. Right. Um, and I, th- I think, I really think that that's the biggest 
thing that keeps that sometimes keeps larger ensembles from programming newer music or experimental music right. or something you know further away from the norm so with it with an orchestra with something like that what you need is is uh, a group that already exists um, and you know you have one here in the Philharmonia um, and you, sometimes you can get readings there you know you probably you know although um, uh, uh, Rob Baldwin has performed uh, uh, faculty pieces. I, you know, I don't think there are any any students who have ever been performed, but he has had student pieces read. Yeah. And that's the, if you get it read, then you've got a recording, and then you've got you've got your orchestra piece, and at least you have <laughs> you have something. You know, even if it's not a performance, yeah. um, and that can be very valuable. Um, uh, so. So that's one way to go. See if, if you know, and, and sometimes things like that can be organized. I, you know, I don't want to say that you know that, that, that would absolutely happen, but it's something that is a possible way of, of doing it. There are there are a bunch of community orchestras too. If you, if you got to know, I mean, generally the community orchestras are a little iffy um, yeah. in terms of the the capabilities of the of the of the players. Um, but um, that's another possible resource so so for orchestra pieces uh, you know, that is a that is a way of, of getting that but the thing is that uh, once again I would say do the work of organizing it before you write the piece mm -hmm. so that you know that you're going to at least be able to hear your piece yeah um, oh sorry go ahead no I, I, I mean I, would, I just was gonna skip now to do a little, a little little leap over to just I was just I was just curious as to how, what what what's your outlook on on the state of, of new music currently? Um, what sort of trends do you see? What sort of things do you see as problematic? What sort of things are you excited about? Just overall. Um, well, I think there's you know there's some really exciting young composers and there are some exciting old composers and. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so I think there are a lot of people writing a lot of really good music, uh, and I think, you know, it's uh, much earlier in in the last century we began to sort of diverge, so that there's so many different aesthetics going on at the at the same time. Yeah. That's always been an interesting thing. So, you know, the the minimalism seems to be alive and well. Um, uh, the new complexity seems to be. Um, That's true. Uh, you know, uh, and and I think spectral music is hanging on. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, you know, so those are some of the trends I think that that are are happening now. So so I think it's there's there are a pretty wide variety of aesthetics going on at the same time, uh, and. And I always, what I like to tell students is, you know, our, our job here is to help you find your voice, yeah. <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, I definitely love the, the diversity in, in new music, but I think it adds an element of, of um, just just makes the, the problem of, of getting your music performed, I think, a little bit larger because of, like, there's all these different styles and aesthetics, and, and we talked with Dr. Jones about performance practice a lot, and... I think that's something performers struggle with a lot is not knowing how to approach mm. a piece of new music sometimes. Well, sure, if they're not, if they're not, um, uh, haven't been exposed to a lot. But the thing is that, and, and it depends upon what you mean by new music. And the trends, you know, I think th there, there are trends and they change. Um, you know, um, one of the biggest victims, I think, of not being the, you know, along with the trend, 
uh, is, is uh, J.S. Bach, <laughs> you know, uh, who was during his lifetime, I think, most famous for being uh, this little North uh, German com uh, organist who was the father of the famous composer C.P. Ebach, um, yeah. who was doing, you know, during uh, the time that Bach was writing, you know, if he had been doing what Handel was doing, which was writing operas, <laughs> he would have been in a much better position, but um, mm, yeah. he was really not, he was probably the most underappreciated great composer <laughs> there was. So again, and, and, and that to me is just a lesson in, you know, if you are not doing the thing that is, you know, is, is uh, what people are excited about and what's getting performed, it's not necessarily a reason to stop doing it, but, but maybe look for venues where you can get something done. Um, uh, because again, I think you have to do whoever you are, you know, that's, that comes out in, in, in your music and that's where your voice ends up being and that's uh, the most important thing. Of course. What what is one thing that you usually try to to convey in your people? What do you think is like I don't know, maybe like your voice or like what what makes a piece of yours sound like like you wrote it? Um, basically, uh, the bag of tricks I've developed over many years. You know, mm -hmm. um, uh, just ways. I think of it in some ways as ways of solving problems, of having this same mm -hmm. way of solving the same problem that keeps coming up. I see. Yeah, because it's 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 really fun. It's it's great though. Like, I'll, I'll I'll listen to some of your music and some of Morris's music mm -hmm. and um, Igor's music and whoever else is around here and. Like me two years ago, it would have all sounded the same. Right. Me right now, there's such a clear, distinct difference, and it's really well, I'm glad I, to hear you say that. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. it's it's not, and I don't think it's it's so much. I mean, my ears gotten a little better, hopefully after four years of school. Um, but <laughs> I think it's also knowing what to listen for. I think uh, be before I, I got deep into my composition degree, um, I, I I wasn't sure what what certain composers were were going for or what. What is what's the thing that they find valuable in a piece? You know, because if if you just grow up listening to pop music and and the right. classical canon, you listen to you just, you listen to new music, and if if nobody's there to kind of guide you through it a little bit, you you don't know what what you're what you're looking for. But once you get there, and then you hear certain things and certain things in Dr. Maxwell's music and mm, certain things right. in Dr. Ruin's music. It's all, you know, most of it is pretty atonal still, but there, there's, it's, it's really funny how that there's, there's just all these, yeah. all these things that even in an, an atonal setting, there, there's still so much character within each piece and within, you know, from composer to composer, it just yeah. makes the whole thing so much more interesting. Yeah, and what happens is you get, become more and more familiar with the terrain. And yes. so then, then these distinctions become plainer to you. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, that's, that's. I think, yeah, you're more acclimated, I guess, yeah, to, to exactly. that sort of sound palette so that you're not, you don't get sidetracked maybe on, on certain, right. you don't get side. you don't get stuck on, oh, that's dissonant. You right, know, that you, right. You get, you're acclimated with that, you can get past that and you can, you can see, oh, that there's, that's, that's a little bit of a melodic line and it, this is the third, second time it's come around. You, you right. start looking at those things <laughs> and looking at things like form. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. It's great stuff. Yeah, I feel like studying in the University of Utah, studying in the in this department, just helped open my mind. Um, I mean, oh, I had a, I had an opportunity to go to Cleveland Institute of Music just for a summer, like 
way back before I started studying here, hmm. which did open my mind, and it was great being around people that had different ideas and senses of music. Because, I, yeah, I was one of those guys that was like, oh, I hate eternal music. Right, right. But now I, I love it. I appreciate it. I appreciate all styles of music. That's great. And and I feel like that's one thing the department has done really well. And it, it especially helping me find my own voice. I felt like at the beginning of my composition career here with Igor, yes. I felt like we were like butting heads. Right, like, he's right, like, right. He's like, yeah. you got to try something else. I'm like, I want to do the same old thing <laughs> I've always been doing. But then he's like, then it, it just, it was like, this veil came up from over my eyes and I just like, I can do so much more. Yeah. So it's great. I love it. But that's, no. that's very good. I think one thing that we have that, that um, has been very helpful too is the Abravanel uh, series, yeah. bringing all these composers because also yeah. that's been a pretty eclectic group of composers. Yes. I don't think they're, you know, there's yeah. no single line. It's like people from... Yeah. So different. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think w one thing though that 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 is a new thing that I think about composers is that thinking of the realizing that the composer is a lot of the times and very often also f fulfilling the role almost as a philosopher at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that was that I didn't appreciate at the time, but I really appreciate now is when I when I first got here, I was a music ed major and I switched over to composition and I had a meeting with Dr. Chuaki and and the first thing that he asked me was, why do I want to be a composer? And never, mm. like, it's, it's just right there, first <laughs> meeting, first thing, it's like you have to contend with this with this now. You know, you have to, and, and so that, that just goes back to not even the, I mean, obviously you guys always help us and guide us in, in finding our, our own voice, and I think I'm, I'm getting really close to that, but not, not just that, it's also like finding purpose in, just, that's a really big question. Mm. Like I don't, I don't know, I don't know that every other major gets asked that question. Is like maybe they do, but I, I feel like just sitting and thinking about some of the things that we take for granted as as, as it concerns music is something that I think is very um, very prominent in a, in a composition degree and something that I really appreciate because that that's from there is where you get sort of like an appreciation for other styles of music and and you know you're you're not just stuck in thinking about music in a certain way music can be all these different things and and everybody has their own intent and purpose that they're going for so yeah. i just think being able to have those conversations with 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 other composers and, and whatever is is really helpful for me yeah me yeah. too oh absolutely and it's a challenge uh when i i mentioned that that i i was um uh i met with this uh, pianist steve Presslin, and it so happened that uh a very wonderful composer was over and London at the same time, uh, a composer by the name of Seymour Schifrin, uh, who taught at Brandeis. Um, mm -hmm. And so I ended up being invited to lunch with, by Steve Russell with, with uh, Schifrin. And, um, and he said to me when I met him, he said, I'm going to say to you what I say to all young composers uh, that I meet, who said, uh, if, you do, if you can do anything else, do it. Only do this if you absolutely have to. Mm. Which is very good advice because it's yeah. not an easy path. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah. True. I mean, it it, it kind of hits you on on two levels. Yeah, that's yeah. That's that's kind of a. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's no, that's 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 a good little. We should when we go back and listen to this, we'll we'll write that one down, put it somewhere. I think I think a lot of people could benefit from that one. But no, it's it's true. You yeah, know. 
Yeah. It's going to be quite tough, and there's it is. there's a lot of stuff. And it is. It is because you know the 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 job market has always you know well ever since I got into it has been terrible. You know, I mean, yeah. it's a, so it's you need you need talent, you need hard work, and you need luck. Yeah, mm. that's true. Of course, you know what Napoleon said. He would rather have a lucky general than a skilled general. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard that. That's awesome. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, what's let's see what's coming up. We got new music ensemble coming up. Well, and crosstalk. Uh, yeah, I was gonna ask. Yeah, if, I, I don't know if have have you ever done anything with electronic stuff before? Ah, so I at Columbia, of course, we had the. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, historic Columbia Princeton Electronic Music Studio. Yeah. Um, so, and everyone at Columbia had to do uh, at least a, a year of electronic music. So I did. Um, however, it didn't take. I mean, I like electronic music, but I didn't enjoy writing it. And of course, in those days, we were we had to work in the Kitty Studio if it was your first year, which meant uh, that that was tape, uh, fifteen inches per second tape, and a razor blade, um, oh, yeah. and. And if you dropped your razor blade on the floor, it was magnetized. You had we had a razor blade demagnetizer. You had to use it. So when I, um, uh, when at the end of my year, I uh, had to write a piece, and so I wrote my piece, and I called it Scheißstück. Do you know how's your German? Do you know? That? No, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds like something, but I'm not a hundred percent sure because I'm not that good on German. Uh, shit piece, yes. Yeah, it's okay. I, I was on to it. I was I, on to it. I left it in the studio. That was oh, the end of go. my experience with electronic music. But no, I th- and now, I mean, and I am of an age when I could get away with not being a composer of electronic music. Now that's not the case. I mean, everybody has to have chops in electronic music. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's another it's conversation we, yeah. we have often is how, how many hats... And it's a wonderful thing. I mean, what Mario Davidovsky has done, Art Krieger. I mean, just really, you know, there are people who do spectacular things with electronic music. And electronic music. Miguel Chihuahua. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There you go. And like like Arcadio was saying, like like nowadays, the composer has to hold so many hats or wear so many hats. That's right, yeah. You know. Yeah, all all these different professions have have been consolidated onto. And I mean... It's gonna I mean the more skills you have, the more marketable you are, the more versatile you are. You know, right? It's you know, it's 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 a good thing, but yeah, um, just like the theory is very important because you know you will be teaching theory if you get a job. You know, yeah, yes. that's true. That's funny. I, I did I tell you? So we when we had to build the app um, mm-hmm. for electronic music class, I, I I just built like a like an interval sort of thing, and I had to go back and review intervals. Because I wasn't sure on some of them. I was like, ah, is that a minor? Yeah. Is that a minor six or what is that? I had to do that with yeah, the augmented six chords. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, theories just want to. I mean, I think we're we're far enough now. We just need like a refresher on theory, which I'm gonna give myself once I graduate. Yeah. Well, of course, yeah. what happens is when you teach your first theory class, of course, you are. Uh, it's what we call platonic learning. You're remembering yeah. um, because you have because. When did you last study theory? If you're teaching, you've already gone through, you know, I mean, well, yeah. obviously you have your theory seminars and whatnot, but the last time you did species counterpoint <laughs> yeah. will have been maybe seven years ago, yeah. you know, um, and so uh, you relearn it to teach it. But as, as uh, one of my, uh, as my, my uh, mentor, who was a, a pianist, who t- the, that person I studied with at Harvard, um, I, pri- I studied privately with, with, with her there, um, uh, she... Uh, she said the best way to learn anything is to teach it. <laughs> yeah. so that's, 
That's actually true. Well. Let's see. I think well, I'll, you have some. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, this actually reminds me, and you probably don't remember this email I sent you, but like a year and a half ago or something. Right. So you an email saying, hey, what are some books I could read? Just like textbooks, books, yeah. about theory, about music. And you give me a good list. And I think it's something that, you know, especially people who graduate and they have like that kind of like period of, you know, what am I going to do after school? And Right, right. You know, it's it's a good period to maybe just read some stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I know Arcadio likes asking this question. What are some books you would recommend or, or films or anything? Recommend for books? For, yeah, for us to read. Let's start with books and then we'll, we'll move yeah. forward okay. on different media. Because <laughs> I feel like I, I have picked up a lot just reading extracurricularly outside of school about music stuff, um, mm. just even lightly, just reading articles and stuff like that, that there's, you know, it's such a broad subject. There's there's stuff to right, take yeah. from everywhere. But uh, yeah, no, as far as like some books or, or, or anything you might have read co- that concerning music that you would f- deem helpful for a post-graduate, undergraduate person. Um, uh, let's see, books. Uh, I would say that the best the best harmony book, which is one we're not, we used to use actually, that we don't use anymore. It's, it's beautifully written, which is a, can be a problem for undergraduate students um, uh, at times. So uh, people have sort of shied away from it. But uh, uh, Harmony and Voice Leading by Edward Aldwell and Carl Schachter. Okay. And generally, most of the really enlightened textbooks that exist now were inspired oh. by that, mm. or many of them at least have been inspired by that book. Um, uh, so that's, that's something that I think is really superb. Counterpoint in Composition by uh, uh, Zoltzer and Schachter. Okay. Um, uh, are um, uh, is uh, really um, I think a really superb book. It's just it's um, it's I, I think it's one of the great works of uh, Western literature. Um, oh, nice. So that book uh, I would recommend uh, if you want some kind of other kinds of reading that involve music. Um, I would suggest Doctor Faustus by Thomas Mann. Uh, which is a wonderful novel, very dark yeah, novel, as its, one, yeah. as its title suggests. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, there's a composer in it, who the ca- a character who is a, probably a large part Schoenberg. Yeah. Um, okay, and then so I think the next question after that would be, um, what do you think are some some pieces of music that maybe are a little bit underrated or not studied as much that you would you would consider are of the utmost importance for for a composition major to well, listen to. Huh, I would say that I mean I am a, a great uh, although you know I I didn't study very much with him and didn't have that much to do with him when I when I was at Brandeis. Um, Seymour Schifrin, I think, is really a mm. wonderful composer who is, I, 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 he wasn't underrated during his lifetime, but he died very young, like at the age of 52. And mm-hmm. so, you know, basically, although it seems like it was a great idea in the past for composers to die, uh, <laughs> now it's not a very good idea. <laughs> Nobody performs your music after you're gone. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, there's, uh, there are not, there's not a lot of stuff you can find. One, a piece that I absolutely love um, and there are composers, uh, uh, important composers in New York who feel that this is a problematic piece, so I'll give you that uh, warning, but it's called In Aeus Memoriam. Uh, it's a chamber piece. It's, it's, I think it's a really wonderful piece. And so I would recommend uh, 
listening to that piece. Um, uh, and, and in a sense, that's a, you know, he's a composer who's underrated, I think, just because he's not around anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. I think when he was around, he was a pretty important composer, actually. Yeah. Uh, also, Donald Martino. Um, uh, there's a piece that I like to use a lot, used to use as a model for, for students. Um, it's, uh, I think it's simply called Trio. It's for clarinet, violin, and, and uh, piano. Wonderful piece, um, early, very early Martino piece actually. Um, uh, you know, there are just there are a lot of wonderful pieces uh, and, and composers. Um, uh, if you haven't experienced him at all, uh, Stefan Volpe uh, is a. I don't think I've heard of him. Uh, Stefan Volpe and one of the the, the king of composers who uh, made it look like a very bad idea to die is Roger Sessions. Have you ever heard of Roger Sessions? I think I have. Okay, good. Most people don't know. He was one of the most important composers at the time he was alive. And when did he die? Uh, he died, I'm tr- I think, sometime in the 80s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like it really rings a bell, his name. But yeah. yeah. I mean, it's great that I don't know any of those names because that's... That's that's why you're that's why you're here. <laughs> go ahead and know those names now. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, unless you got any anything else, David, I think I think no, that was a good. that was a good time to wrap up. Thanks so much, Doctor well, Rowans, for my pleasure spending the time you. with us. Well, there you have it. That was our conversation with uh, educator and composer Doctor Steve Rowans. It's really uh, happy to be able to sit down and talk with him again because we don't often get to sit down and have a one-on-one conversation with uh, our faculty outside of the classroom. So it's really a great opportunity for us. I hope you guys got as much out of it as we did. Um, next week, we'll have uh, Dr. Michael Chikinda for episode four, who is currently the head of the theory department at the University of Utah. Um, great, great conversation with him. Talked about uh, a whole bunch of different subjects um, from uh, Kendrick Lamar to J.S. Box, Pasagalia, 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 right? I think okay, so. Okay, I think I got it almost there. Um, and yeah, so that episode is forthcoming. Again, we have some more in the works. Hopefully, we can continue to uh, get some more episodes going throughout the summer now that the semester has ended. Um, I feel confident that we can still be able to get some episodes. Uh, up and running Um, and yeah be sure to subscribe like us share us you can listen to it on itunes and uh, soundcloud let your piano teacher know about it let your grandma who has a collection of Mahler symphonies know about it Um, yeah and yeah we can would really appreciate some more listeners and subscribers now that we're starting to get off the floor and starting to take this a little bit more seriously So, yeah, thanks so much. Anything else you want to add, David? No, thank you for listening. All right, we will see you next week with our next episode. Bye-bye.